Welcome back into the Rounding Third Podcast. I'm Nick. We have Harrison tonight. How are we doing, buddy? Good. How are we doing, Nick? Not too bad. Had a pretty good Christmas. Low key. How was yours? Yep. Same thing. Low key. Stayed here. Kids were all crazy and wild and loving it. That's actually why I'm a few minutes late tonight. They're still working off that Christmas hangover. So uh, yeah. it's all good, though. Good times. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So kind of a slow week. We'll get into it. Um, but uh, make sure first that you follow and like us on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. So leading off, Yamamoto signs with who else? The Dodgers. Um, He signs for 12 years, $325 million. Um, The the opt-outs are after year six, and after year eight, which was kind of weird to yeah. me, um, which whatever. But the back end of his contract is loaded. Yeah. So the opt <laughs> if he opted out in year six and year eight, he's losing out on the bigger chunk of his contract if he opts out. So it kind of it's again, I hate to say this, a smart move by the Dodgers kind of having an insurance policy there mm-hmm. like. You know, if he doesn't work out and he opt out, like we're not on the hook for that money. Yeah. So. And it's interesting because the Dodgers chose not to go the road of deferrals because they've already, and even they admitted to, we've got a lot of deferred money already. We can't defer a contract. We can't defer every contract forever. So, um, but, but instead, so they, they backloaded this one. So if, if an opt out happens, they save a much larger portion of the contract than they would otherwise. So again, I feel like the Dodgers are proving that we're a big market team. We're not afraid to spend, but we're also playing a slightly different game than everybody else. And we're structuring contracts in a way to get us the outcome that we want and even potentially hedge a little risk for us. So really um, what they're doing, it makes me insane what they're doing, Um, but it's really smart. (laughs) Like it's really smart. They're, they're playing by almost different rules in LA um, and it's working. It's working great. I mean, here they are. They've invested a billion dollars between Yamamoto and Otani then you throw in glass now and you know you spent you've invested over 1.2 billion dollars this offseason and they say they're not done the beauty of it is it's all structured in a way where that 1.2 billion isn't really going to have to be 1.2 billion dollars so it's mm-hmm. it's been fascinating to watch them work because they're playing a way different game out there it it is nuts i mean we we've sat here and said that it's it's not good for baseball and and all of that stuff because you know small market teams could they structure con- contracts like that? Sure. But not to that magnitude. No, you because, could not pay it. Right. Well, that's the thing. Because if this doesn't end up working out for the Dodgers, they're not going bankrupt. If no. if the Kansas City Royals does the same exact thing, they sign Otani, <laughs> they trade for Glass now and extend him, they sign Yamamoto, you have Betts and Freeman on the books. If they are all in Kansas City right now with the same exact contract structure – and it doesn't work out, Kansas City Royals are, are off the map. They're done. You know, the Dodgers yep. financially could recover if it doesn't work out. That's the difference between it, between the, you know, LA, the big market teams, or New York or Boston and all that stuff. These small market teams, sure, people are like, oh, they can be smart. They could structure their contract. No, they can't. They can't. Right. Because it's a much, much bigger gamble for them. Yeah. Could they? Sure, they could. But if they gamble and lose, they're they're out. They're done. 
Yeah. And I think that I think what the Dodgers have done has been really smart. You know, they've been mixing deferred money, backloaded contracts. You know, they're going to give Yamamoto 50 million bucks up front. Right. You know, so Yamamoto gets paid. Basically, this contract is a bookend. He gets 50 million bucks up front and he has a lot of it out in the last three or four years of it. In between, he's actually a very affordable pitcher, given what you're going to get or given what you would expect to pay for him. Right. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that the Cleveland Guardians are going to drop 325 million bucks on a bucks on a guy because they can get creative with the contract. You still have to have the money to sign those contracts, and the Dodgers are proving, and the and the Padres are proving it too. The Padres are proving the Padres went for broke the last two years. They signed a bunch of big contracts. Where did they get them? They are literally taking on loans to continue to operate. Yeah, because they have they've completely out, you know kind of completely overshot the runway. The Dodgers. If they burn $300 million over the next five or six years on bad contracts, like you said, Nick, okay. Like the, right. that ownership group is loaded. And if they, if they burn that in a big market, you can make $300 million back in a season or two. You're yeah. not $300 million back in Cleveland or Kansas city or Tampa Bay, or yeah. you just can't. And that's again, the intent of the competitive balance tax was try to level the playing field. Same thing with revenue sharing. Revenue sharing was taking some of that big market, some of that shared revenue and spreading it other places so the big markets didn't totally dominate. But when you look at it, when you look at stadium deals, sponsorships, TV rights, media market size, you just can't change that LA is one of the top five markets in the whole country. Right. You can't change that New York is one, that Boston is one. You can't make Tampa Bay a bigger market. You can't make San Diego a bigger market. They are limited by what they can draw. Yeah. And yes, San Diego, it's a million dollars for a shoebox condo and the weather's great. And there's a shitload of people that live there. But it's it's not even a, a portion of New York, Boston, and LA. Like it's just not. It's not even close. No. Different, completely different markets that have much, much different economics. And LA is LA can flex their muscles and they can take big risks that nobody else can. Right. I mean, look at what Cohen did. You know, Cohen yeah. went out and spent, you know, everything. He, well, not everything he had because he's loaded, but he went for broke. But financially, he's fine. Right. right. Even though it didn't work out, he's like, all right, we'll tear it down and try it again. You know, the Dodgers could do that if it doesn't work out. And like I said, like the Guardians, the Royals, those small market teams won't be able to recover from that. The point you made about the Rockies owner <laughs> being right. worth seven hundred million dollars. Like you're telling me the Colorado Rockies wouldn't just fold and be like, sorry, like we're yeah. done. If if they don't go, if they don't fill that stadium every night, sign a bigger TV contract and win the World Series every year, there's no way for that guy to make that money back. And that contract is so big, it would bankrupt him and the organization if they didn't perform. Right. You know, the the Dodgers, I mean, Mark Walter, the primary owner of the Dodgers, is worth worth almost three billion bucks by himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> by himself. Right. And he's got other owners with him. Yeah. Like this is, they are, it is not the same thing. And, you know, Doug makes another point about San Diego. It's not a big baseball city. No, you're right. It's not, but it's also population wise. The San Diego Metro is very small relative to Los Angeles, New York, and Boston. But because you still, I mean, a big part of what drives this is TV deals. TV deals are based on how many eyeballs can watch. And that's why, why did the San Diego Padres lose their TV deal last year? Because it wasn't worth anything to Bally Sports. They looked at it and said, we don't want it. Right. This TV deal isn't worth worth anything to us because the market's so small. Yeah. But yet they didn't they didn't kill their contract with some of the teams in the Midwest. Yeah. Which are getting better ratings than San Diego. Yeah. 
But you, I mean, you made like such a great point about San Diego having to take out loans to recover for what they did. The Dodgers will never have to do that. They'll be like, "Hey, Magic, do you got do you got a couple couple million dollars to throw at this team because we just need it right now?" It's like, "Yeah, here." Yeah, like, what do you need? Yeah, like that's what's not good about baseball. I don't think because it's like, yes, this is in the rules, but I feel like they're still kind of stretching it and finding a way around it, right? Like, yes, there's no prohibit. It doesn't prohibit in the CBA or anything like that to defer money, all that stuff. But they put in this luxury tax threshold for a reason. And the Dodgers are still trying to find a way around it. Like steroids was legal when those guys were going through, but they found a way around it. And then when they came out and said steroids are illegal, then they stopped. You know right. what I mean? Like, like people and organizations and players are always going to find a way to try to get the, the edge on, yeah, on their competition. And absolutely. the Dodgers just have thick wallets and that's where they're going to go with it. Well, and that's the thing. Like when you have, when you have that level of revenue and that level of capital and net worth and wealth behind the team, you can just do different things. Yeah. Like you just don't have to, you know, when you're, when you're Kansas city signing Seth Lugo to a three year, $45 million contract, like you really have to make sure that works because you don't have the ability to, to miss by 10, 20, 30, 40 million bucks and, and be okay. The Dodgers. I mean, if, if that team ever didn't make money, the ownership group would just be like, okay, like we'll just strike a check and fill the account and we'll be fine. <laughs> right. Um, it's just, it's not the same. And when you've got that level of wealth behind it and Cohen proved it last year, I don't care what it costs. Just right. go. He yep. paid over and we'll, we'll get to this later, but he paid over a hundred million dollars in luxury tax this year. Mm-hmm. That, that didn't go to anything. That was just a check. He wrote to the league. Like a, Hey, I broke the rules. Here you go. <laughs> right. Like that, that was the, that was larger than the payroll of like seven teams on opening day. Yeah. And, and that's what the Dodgers will do if this doesn't. Yeah, yeah. If that's what the Dodgers will do if this doesn't work out, it's not going to hurt them financially. They're gonna recover. The Royals will go bankrupt. Guardians bankrupt. Rockies bankrupt. Done. Fold them. That's it. But that's it. Whatever. All right. Let's let's turn back to Yamamoto a little bit because the Yankees were in on Yamamoto till the last minute. And then apparently, reportedly, the Yankees backed off because Yamamoto's contract would have been more than Garrett Cole's, your reigning Cy Young Award winner. Yep. Does that make sense for the Yankees to do that? What's your feelings on that? Well, I mean, I, I think it does. I mean, I think the Yankees, and I, you, you and I said it before we went on, Brian Cashman has completely redeemed himself this offseason in my mind. Yep. He stopped playing fantasy baseball. He's going and getting guys that make sense. So, you know, box number one checked. Like, awesome. But number two is, yes, you have. I have a really hard time giving a guy who's never thrown a major league pitch, who's never faced major league batters. The WBC doesn't count. He faced a smattering of major league batters. He has not faced a full major league lineup in his life. He's faced a few MLB guys here and there. Right. Um, the guy's stuff is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but if I'm the Yankees, and the Yankees really had three concerns with him. One was, we can't pay more than Garrett Cole. He is the reigning Cy Young Award winner, and you've never thrown a pitch on Major League Baseball. Strike one. Strike two is, you've never pitched against Major League Baseball talent 
yet. And your numbers in Japan are great, but like we haven't seen you in any extended time against real major league hitters. And even in the WBC, you didn't face guys that were like headliners. Right. You faced a few good guys. And then strike three is you are five foot ten. Most of the guys at that size, like Pedro Martinez, they don't last. They just kind of fade away because he's not built that most, most of your guys that throw in high nineties are built like Clemens was. They are big, thick, strong guys. They're not, you know, Pedro Martinez was an anomaly. Kurt Schilling was a big, strong guy. Yeah. Clemens, big, strong guy. Randy Johnson was different. He was just super long and lanky. He was six eleven. Um, right. <laughs> most of your guys that throw really hard are big guys. He's 5'10 and like 14 pounds and soaking wet. He's a very small guy. And that frame, there's a lot of concerns around baseball. That frame won't hold up because Pedro didn't. Pedro was gone in his mid-30s or in his early to mid-30s. He just kind of flamed out. Yeah. And that happens. That happens with that size. So I think the Yankees are smart to walk away. I think the Red Sox are smart to bow out. I think the other teams are smart to say, look, this has gotten crazy. What you're asking for is ludicrous. We're just not going to do it. Um, and in the end... Yeah, he got he got his money, and for him it was he really wanted to New, he wanted New York, but he really wanted to play with Otani, so he had two good choices. The Dodgers coughed up the cash, and off he went. But I give the Yankees credit for holding their ground. Um, I'm, you know, again the Dodgers pick up another one, but is this a contract you're going to look back in three or four years and be like, man, like they really got a good deal, or is this a guy who's struggling to adjust or has issues with, you know, fatigue? How many times did Shohei Otani sit the last few seasons with fatigue? Mm-hmm. We consistently see these Japanese guys. They come over, they deal with fatigue, they deal with arm issues. Every one of these guys comes over and gets Tommy John surgery within 18 to 24 months because they get completely overused overseas. So, like, I look at it as there's a lot of risk there, a lot of upside. But when you look back in five years, are you going to get what you thought you got? I don't think you're, I don't think you're going to based on it, based on history. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I think here too, like like you said before, like the brand of baseball here is just totally different. Yeah. In Japan, you're pitching the contact. You're not, you don't, yes, you do have guys that have high strikeout numbers, sure. but they pitch completely different there. Yep. Right. Here, one through nine, you're you're facing guys that will take you 450 feet if you're pitching the contact. They will take you oppo, you know, out of the park. No problem. So you're right. Their arms wear down. They have to throw harder to these guys. They have more pitches because they have to make better pitches. They have to execute pitches and they have arm problems. And you're right. They throw a ton before they get over here. They do. They do. And then they have arm problems. But um, yeah, you, this you can't you can't just lay a fastball in to a number seven hitter in Major League Baseball. No. In Japan. Yeah, you can just, you know, basically after batters after batter four in the lineup, you can just throw strikes. I like yeah you're not going to get hurt by the, by the guy hitting six or seventh. No, but in major league baseball, the guys hitting six or seventh are sometimes pretty good hitters. Like look at the Rangers lineup. Yeah. In some cases you would guys like Jonah Heim hitting six or seventh. Like that guy will lose a ball in the upper deck on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just throw him a meatball. Nope. I, so this might be an unpopular opinion. I don't know, but I feel at this moment, the Yankees have won the off season. With all the stuff that the Dodgers have done and signing Otani and all of this, I, I say the Yankees have won the offseason simply because I think they are going to have the, the biggest turnaround. 
they are are gonna be at the top of the AL East just by adding Soto and Verdugo. You add those huge contact guys in there, and if somehow DJ LeMahieu can stay on the field and produce, they're gonna be very, very good. Their outfield is unreal right now. I mean, I just I, I think I think right now the Yankees have have made the best moves for their team and their organization and non-moves for their team and yes. their organization. As yep. as much as Yamamoto would have been a fantastic number two to back up get Garrett Cole and to give them a legit one-two punch, I think they were very smart because now they're in the running for Blake Snell if they wanted to. Jordan Montgomery's still back out there. <laughs> I, there's still some good arms out there to be had, and the Yankees have put themselves in the driver's seat. And, and you and, can go and, get two of those guys for the cost of Yamamoto. Yeah, it, it pains me to say that as a lifelong no, Red I agree. Sox fan, but I, I really, I really feel that they have made smart, smart decisions this yeah. offseason. I, I look at it two ways. Before I do that, Doug mentioned something interesting here. So Doug was mentioning one thing I forgot to mention when I talked about my Japan baseball experience was that the entire pitching staff throws in the bullpen during games. They don't take any days off. Mm-hmm. Which is which is true, and that was one of the things when Dice K came over and had had his own injury issues with the Red Sox that they pointed to is that these guys, when they get over, they've they've thrown so many more pitches than their American counterparts. You know, we laugh about how much American pitchers get overused in college and minor league baseball and coming up. It's nothing compared to Japan. These guys pitch oftentimes in four man rotations, so they're pitching you know twenty percent more often. They're pitching every day between games. They're pitching more innings. They're, it, it's a thing of pride. Like, you don't come out before the seventh or eighth inning. Like, you just don't. This is not like Blake Snell getting pulled after five and a third and getting a pat on the back. In Japan, it's a pride thing. Like, you are, you. it's shame to you if you come out of the game before you have, you know, you've gotten to like the seventh inning. Yeah. So these guys will go out there and throw 125 pitches to get through the seventh inning because it's a, it's a sense of pride to do that and and help their bullpen. But the number of pitches these guys have thrown when they get over here is astronomical and significantly higher than what we see in America. Although we say that the guys here over are overworked, nothing compared to over there. No. Um, so, but anyways, so yeah. what you're saying about the Yankees, I agree with you. I look at I look at the offseason in two ways. I think the Yankees have won the offseason so far because they've made the moves that I think project them now back to being a true contender in the American League. Yeah. I view the Kansas City Royals as the most improved team of the offseason. Because I think they went from a basement dweller to a legitimate contender in the American League Central. So, you know, are they a World Series contender? Hell no. Like, they're not a World Series contender. No. But they may be the most improved in the, in baseball so far this offseason. Uh, but that. I think the Yankees have gone from, you know, kind of on the edge of the playoffs to not only a playoff team, but a legitimate threat to make some noise. <clears throat> because they finally have guys in that lineup that make consistent contact, that will have good at-bats, and aren't just trying to hit home runs. Verdugo and Soto changed that lineup with high contact, high average guys that have good at bats. They are not just swinging from their heels, trying to go yard. They are making consistent contact and wearing pitchers out. The Yankees have missing that since LeMahieu in 2020. Right. Um, they just haven't had that person. They haven't had a guy like that in the lineup in three years. No. And, and then you just throw Aaron Judge in the middle of that. It's just, it's. Yeah. You got, you got a guy who at 60 bombs two years ago was on, would have hit 60 bombs this year if he played all season. He was on a rate to go hit 60 again. I yeah. mean, holy cow. 
Crazy. And then you've still got Rizzo and Torres and Volpe and LeMahieu. And, you know, you should have Radon for a whole season this season, which you didn't have last year. Like, right. This team, this Yankees team, I thought they were going to be able to put it together last year and make a legitimate run. Um, and then they just couldn't get healthy. But they've changed the dynamics of that team. And they're not relying on guys like Stanton anymore. If Stanton's hurt, who cares? He's a DH. Go find right. another one. Yeah, exactly. We can find somebody else that can strike out a bajillion times. Right. You know, and I look at, you know, Stanton's the same kind of, I look at Stanton, you know, Stanton was a, was a trade that Cashman made because it was exciting and put butts in the seat, just like signing Yamamoto. Are you going to get what you want out of that contract? Who knows? Right. Probably not, but it was exciting in the moment and we'll put butts in the seats. But in a few years, yep. are people going to look back like they do on Stanton and just wish he wasn't there? Who knows? Yep. I'm with you. So we do have some breaking news. Martin Maldonado just signed with the Chicago White Sox. Why? Because it's the White Sox. Like why? Why do you go to sh- that team is so irrelevant. It's not even funny. Well, it's probably the only team that offered him a contract. So which is probably true. It's a shame I mean, because that he might be defensively the best catcher in baseball. Yeah, But he's but what? That, 30. He's 38. He can't yeah. hit. No, I, the, he could not hit water if he fell out of a boat. No. So. But he defensively, there are very few better. Yep, agree. Um, so staying with the catchers here, Mitch Garver signed with the Mariners two years, $24 million. Um, I think this is kind of a bargain deal for the Mariners, honestly. Well, two it is, years for 24. It is, but where's he going to play? You'll just DH him. Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, you, you have two guys, you have two guys now with the catcher position that can both hit really well. Neither one of them's great defensively, but they're good enough. No, but you can switch on and off and you don't lose them out of the lineup either. Who, you know, who would you rather see behind the plate every night in Seattle? Uh, Raleigh, probably. That's I, that's what I viewed it as. I still think Raleigh's your everyday catcher. Garver will swap in and out. And you're probably right. Probably the two of them probably switch back and forth between catcher and DH because they can both hit. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And I agree. That's a good deal. Two years, 24, 12 million bucks a year for Garver. He can make some noise. Yep. He'll fit perfectly in that lineup too. I yeah, mean, they lo- they lost some pop with Suarez. Uh, we don't know where Teoscar Hernandez is going. All indications right now is the Red Sox are the front runners for Teoscar Hernandez, which we'll get into the Red Sox in a little bit. But I, I don't know if I like that fit or not. I haven't. I'm on the fence about that one. Well, as um, of um, as of about what is this? Four hours ago. The uh, the Dodgers are also in on Teoscar Hernandez. Of course they are. Of course they are. <laughs> so, I mean, Anyways, why wouldn't they be? The yeah. Red Sox are just going to keep fighting the Dodgers for every free agent. Whatever, take him. You can have his twenty five home runs and two hundred and fifty six well, strikeouts. You already have Max Muncy, who does exactly that. How many more yeah. guys do you need that do that in your lineup? Uh, one more would be nice. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter when you're losing the first round how many home runs he hits in the, in the regular nope. season. Nope. Um, I do love this. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon is going back to the Buccos for one year, $5 million. Deal. This is absolutely I, the right decision. Yep, absolutely. This is going to be, I would feel this is his last year. He wants to end his Has career in Pittsburgh. Um, he loves the Pirates organization. He's been there forever. I mean, other than the like the little stint in the middle of his career where he kind of floated around a little bit. But um, yeah, I love this deal. Um and then this morning, Kevin Kiermeyer re-signed with the Blue Jays. So not like a huge market for him, but I kind of figured he was just going to stay put there. But. Yeah, I mean, again, another guy who's really 
really, really, he's a really valuable guy, but not necessarily like on the stat sheet. He does so much for you, and he's such a good, you know, all indication. He's a great clubhouse guy, great, you know, kind of great guy to have around, and he can play a bunch of positions. He plays them well. Um, you he know, guys them ha- very well. Yeah, guy, you know, guy that does a lot for you yeah. and puts up decent numbers, but he doesn't get enough credit because his his numbers don't jump off the off the stat sheet at you. But he does so much out there. Yeah. So yeah, so that was pretty much. I mean, kind of figured it was going to be a quiet week, free agent wise. Um, but I mean, we still got some big ones out there, and we're still waiting to see where they go. And they've been really quiet. Like I haven't heard anything about Montgomery. Haven't really heard anything on Snell in a while. Um, I ha- I have no clue. Um, I would love for the Sox to get one of those two. I'll even be greedy and say both, but that's <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think those are the next two that everyone's going to be having their eyes on to see where they go. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And as we talked about before we went on, the Red Sox continue to puzzle me. And we're not, I mean, we're, we're in, in air quotes, on everybody. Right. But we've we've not been we've not been even like the second or third choice for anybody yet. So what it makes me wonder is what are we doing? We said the same thing off season. Like just tell us what you guys are doing. Like what is the plan? What are right. we trying to accomplish here? Because here we are, yet another season where we're doing nothing, we're going nowhere, we're signing nobody that makes any real difference. I mean, Tyler O'Neill, cool. We got rid of Verdugo though, so that's kind of a trade. Right. It's a swap. But we're not making, you know, we need pitching. Everybody in the world knows we need pitching. Have we, are we going to sign some pitching? Like we don't even know. So what it makes me think is either there's a lot of activity that's going to happen and we're all going to be like, oh, okay, good. That makes sense. Like, here we go. We're going to do something here. Or it isn't the GM and it wasn't Heim's fault. Maybe it just is this ownership group just doesn't care. Because as we talked about, this ownership group's got Liverpool and they've got it's they've got their racing company and and now John Henry and Tom Werner are part of this group that's made a three billion dollar offer to buy the PGA tour. Like, do these guys even care the Red Sox are still out there? Like, is it is it even it, are they even paying attention to it? And Heim Bloom, Craig Blez, Breslow, Nick Arno, does it matter who's in the front office? Like, are we just not gonna do anything? I mean, the minor league system is loaded. And in 25 or 26, you're gonna bear all the fruits of Heim, of Heim's effort here. But what the hell are we doing until then? And what are we doing to supplement that with, with legitimate talent, like ready MLB proven talent? Right. We continue to do nothing. And I don't think it's the GM's fault anymore. I'm starting to think that this ownership group just doesn't care. And I'm with you. Like if if that's the route they want to take, if if you're waiting till 25 or 26 to have all of these guys up here, major league ready, then just come and tell us that. Exactly. You have players weekend where you sit down with the fans and they you have the back and forth and they ask like fans to their credit ask really good questions usually during that during that sit down with the front office. When they're on stage and the fans are in the audience like there's some good questions asked. Just yeah. come out just come out and tell us what you're doing. Right. And Red Sox Nation will always be behind you. Like they we know what's in the farm. We know that it's a couple of years out, but yep. we also know we have Devers, we have Story, we have Bayo, we have a major league 
ready team that could make some noise. That's just one or two pieces away that we could actually compete and not just be in the basement year after year after year. Right. Like just show that you care just a little bit or just tell us what the plan is, I, I guess is the, the bigger point of it. We're just kind of left in the dark to right. try to figure it out for ourselves. And it seems like they don't care. So, I mean, yeah, and just, then I guess in the grand scheme of things, like they don't care what we think because we are just peons, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't know. Like, you're right. It wasn't the GM's fault. It wasn't, it wasn't Bloom's fault. He was only doing what his bosses were telling him to do. And then he got canned for it. Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. It just, it makes me think that it just, it wasn't the GM's fault. Like this is, this is what we're working with. And I, as we've, as we said last off season and again, going into this one, if that's the plan, just tell us what's going on. Like as fans, we can handle it. If it's like, Hey guys, we need a couple of years to fix this and rebuild it. We'd be like, okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. But to get us excited, like we're going to do something in the off season, then not do something again. It's, you know, don't, don't pretend like you're going to make moves. You're not going to make, or just say, look, we're limited to X. Like we can only do so much this off season. We're trying to do the best we can with what we got. Yeah. But we don't, we don't know what that looks like, but we know we can't, we can only be so aggressive. I, I'm wondering if there was something else to do with the Alex Verdugo and Bloom. I'm wondering if it went further up the ladder than just Alex Cora. Because you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's why it was mid-September. They were like, okay, we're done. Like, this is just me speculating. I have no No. idea. Um, But maybe there was more to it. And that's why they're like, hey, we're just going to move on um, from you as well. We're going to, you know deal Verdugo and the Aussie, you know, Bloom's first move. I mean, not Bloom, uh, Breslow's first move was Verdugo to the Yankees. Yeah. Finish off um, the Mookie Betts trade by trading away the, the one big right. piece. But yeah, I don't know. I just, well, did you see Jonathan Papelbon kind of clap back at Verdugo's comments? Yeah. You know, Papelbon basically saying there's nobody on the earth that's got your back more than Alex Cora from my experience with him. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's right. Papelbon. But first of all, you are absolutely like certifiably insane. So your feedback only means so much. But secondly, like there's clearly issues here. Like right. there's not just one player who's had problems with Cora. You know, Bloom and Cora did not get along. They did not get along for a while. No. Like there's, there's, this is not just like not having your back. Like there is something else going on here. It doesn't seem right. It seems broken. I don't think it's Heim Bloom's fault. I think yeah. I thought firing Heim Bloom was a wrong decision. But at the same time, we don't know how much that was Heim Bloom. Just like, guys, I don't want to do this. Like if we're just going to like pretend that we care, I'm out. Yeah, uh, Doug makes a great point too. Like, are you gonna get us some starting pitcher? We're just gonna go with three out of five starters in the rotation again. Yeah, right, just let right, us know. That's all we so, want to know. So just, right now, who do the Red Sox have as starters you can pencil in? Bayo and, and Sale. Apparently, Sale's healthy, so we'll give I mean, him, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say Sale's ready. Do you put Halk in the starting rotation? But like, literally, that that's where we're at. Like, do you put? Is he a bullpen guy? Is he a rotation guy? Like, we don't have. Any more legitimate starters well, than Bayo yeah. and Sale? Right. That's all you got. Yeah. This is a team with that used to be, you know, top of the league in payroll, and they won a bunch of World Series, and now we're just like, we can't even fill out a freaking lineup card. See, I think that's I think that's where I'm at right now with the ownership group. Right. Listen, 
We've won four World Series since the Yankees won their last. They don't care about the rest of the league winning. As long as the Yankees don't win, like we have four, they have zero. Yeah. So we're not pressured to win a World Series like we were in 04. Oh, well, all the way back to 03, really. 03, 04, 07. You know, like they don't have the pressure to win because is that rivalry still there? Yes. But it is nowhere near what it was at one point. Oh, we time. talked about that a bunch this past season. Like, yeah. is it still a rivalry? Yeah, it is. But is it what it used to be? No, it's not. Because not neither team has been all that leg- all that worthwhile to watch. Right. So, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, Doug's with us. Just let us know what's going on. Like, yeah. I'm on. I'm on board either way. I hate being stuck in purgatory and just trying to figure it out myself. And then you make like a silly move, and you're just like, wait, why? what was that for like what does that do does that help us yeah. no but right yeah what, what are we getting for it but yeah it's silly all right uh we'll move on to uh fifth inning here we're just real quickly wrapping up our manager our current manager results our final it was bruce bochi against tori lovello and this was a very very close vote and Bochi pulled it out by one vote. So Bruce Bochi is your current manager champion, um, voted on by you, the viewers. So that was fun to do and kind of go yeah. through all the managers uh, throughout this offseason here. But, I mean, World Series champion and Bruce Bochi is the hell of a manager. So kind of no shock there that he comes out. So, I mean, the question in that becomes, did he win because of the recency bias where he just won the World Series and we all love him right now? Or do we really think he's the best manager in baseball? Like, would he make the Red Sox better? Would he make the Kansas City Royals better? Like, is he that kind of manager? And I'm not saying he's not. I'm just, it's funny yeah. that our, our final matchup was Bochi versus Lavolo, or Lavulo, because they were in the World Series against each other, and then Bochi right. won, which is, like, the whole thing played out like the World Series. Right. Well, maybe we do it again next offseason and see what happens. Yes. <laughs> see what be... people think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... We have some top five lists here, so some trivia, and you can chime in with some of your answers, too, if you think you know some of them. Um, you, Harrison has a couple. I have a few. Um, I based mine off, like, Christmas gifts, sort of. So things that you would get for Christmas that are baseball-related, okay? So this was, I want the top five jersey sales of 2023. Oh, boy. Top jersey sales of 23, so it's got to be Otani. Otani's number one. Let's see. Judge? Judge is number three, yep. So Otani, Judge, Trout can't be in there anymore, can he? Nope. Okay. Mookie? Mookie's number five, yep. Oh, Freeman? Nope. You have... Uh, you have a Braves and a Padres. Oh, so Strider? Nope. Acuna, duh. Acuna, yep, Acuna. Yep, as I'm saying, I'm like, nope, Acuna. Yeah. And Padres, uh, Soto? No. Tatis? Tatis, number four. People still love Tatis. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. (sighs) Amazing. All right, this one is a little bit tougher. I'll help you out through this one. Um, But these are... The mo- the top five most valuable baseball cards to date. So right now, 
the Ooh. top five most valuable baseball cards. Top five. So wait, like of all time? Yes, of all time. Oh, goodness. So Honus Wagner. He's number two. His last card was sold for $6,974,800. That's insanity like, yeah. for a baseball card. Um, all right. Honus Wagner, uh, Babe Ruth. No, it's not on the top five anymore. Oh, he's not. Wow. He got bumped out. Okay. Um, all right. Top five. So Honus Wagner. Uh, there was a Cy Young card that went for a crazy amount not that long ago. Yeah, but not in the top five. Oh, man. Anybody modern era? Yeah, one. Bonds? And he's got he's got two spots. No, he's still currently playing. Still playing. Still playing. Trout? Otani? Tr- Trout. Trout has a 2009 Bowman Chrome draft autograph card that went for 4.4 million. Holy cow. That was number 3 <laughs> and then number 5, he's got a 2011 Topps Update Platinum. It's one of one. So there's only one card in existence. Oh man. And okay. it's, so it's sold for 1 million. Um, your top guy is a Yankee and your number four is a pirate. So pirate, this, is it Stargell? No. Mazeroski? No. The other guy. Right um, fielder. Oh, a Clemente, duh. A Clemente. I did this last time too. Yep. Nin- <laughs> Just nin- whole outfield, but him. Yeah. 1955, his rookie card, 1 million, 1.1 million. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, and this one, this one's crazy because I think it just happened. It was either this year or last year, if I remember. Um, it went for auction, um, but it was Mickey Mantle number one. I was gonna say heavy mantle. Twelve point six million. It Holy went for cow for a card. A nineteen fifty two tops. That's bananas. Twelve point six million. It sold at auction. So That's those are bananas. Those are all cards that were sold at auction. Um, there might be some that are worth more, but those are what the highest that were paid for a card. So, wow. Pretty insane. Yeah. All right. So, um, I have top five selling hats of 2022 because 2023 hasn't come out yet. The stats yeah, so that. that won't come out until early next year. All right. Yeah. So the top five selling team hats, new era team hats from 2022. So Yankees. Yankees number one. Dodgers. Dodgers number two. Red Sox. Red Sox not in the top five. Oh, that's the first time in a long time. Okay. They were six. Oh, just fell out. Mets? Nope. Really? Okay. Padres? Nope. One of them is a the other pair of socks. Oh, White Sox? White Sox is number three. Who's buying White Sox hats? I mean, hell, the players don't even want to wear them. (laughs) Facts. Jeez. All right, so I got three of them. Yep. Um, wouldn't be the is it the Angels? Nope. I wasn't sure if the Otani effect had landed there or not. No. Rangers? Nope. Uh, their resurgence. Got down around me. Like they're always in the playoffs. Oh, the Braves. Braves are number four, and this this fifth one really shocked me here. Blue Jays. Blue Jays. Say so that fan base has gone crazy lately. Yeah. Yeah, Blue Jays number five. So your top five selling new era hats last year. Yankees, Dodgers, White Sox, Braves, and Blue Jays. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so the, la- the last one I have was the top five jersey sales of retired players from Ooh. 2022. So the Ooh. crazy thing about this 
is these five were also in the top 10 of most jerseys sold this wow. year. Wow. Okay. Retired players. We talking like recently retired or like from a bazillion years ago? A couple recent, a couple, a couple from a bazillion. Okay. So let's go with um, uh, Babe Ruth. Nope. Bonds. No. You got Yankees, Mariners. Jeter. Jeter's number one. He was number two on the all list. Really? So he's still outselling current players. Yep. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Yep. All right. We got Jeter. Um, uh, Mantle. Nope. There's no more Yankees. So no Mariners, Yankees. Mariners, Dodgers, Pirates, and Astros, Mets, Rangers. Yankees. Clemente. Clemente is number four. I'm going to guess him first this time. <laughs> yep. Clemente, Clemente is number four. All right. You said you said Braves had somebody on there? Nope. Mariners, Dodgers. Mariners, Dodgers. Okay. So Dodgers would be Koufax? Nope. Is this current or past? Past. Like, like way, way past? Yeah. And I mean, everyone has his number retired. Oh, Jackie Robinson. Yep. Jackie Robinson. He was fifth of overall sales. Pretty good. I mean, he they they sell a ton of those when, when they come up on his day. Yeah, uh, Mariners should be a no brainer. Griffey. Yeah, Griffey, and he's number three on the all list. That's a brand. And then the last one is he played for four teams: the Angels, Rangers, Astros, and Mets. Like way back when. I mean, from '66 to '93. Oh, Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Yeah. Yep. And he's tenth on the list. So that was crazy. Wow, they still he's still that high on the list. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeter's I number. The, I wonder if the facing Nolan thing coming out helped him. Possibly could have. But yeah, that was crazy. So Jeter is number two on the in 2022. Griffey was number three. Robinson was number five. Clemente was eight. And Ryan was 10. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. So, all right. Huh. What do you got? All right, so I got a couple here for you. Um, Let's go to, since we've been talking so much about ownership group, what they're worth, I wanted to go through who are the the top five wealthiest owners. Just give me the team. I'm sure you don't know the names, but give me the teams. So Mets. Uh, Believe it or not, no. Really? Not in the top five. How? All right. Let's rethink here. So Dodgers. Uh Dodgers are uh sixth. But it's it's the primary owner, so it's Mark oh, Walter. Oh, so I the whole group is worth a whole bunch more, but he owns the majority right. of the team. Goodness, wealthiest owners. They're not the, so, they're not the organizations you would expect. All right. So Rockies, maybe, because he's him himself is worth seven hundred million. No, he's actually way down the list. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Let me put it this way. So let me let me break it down for you. The, the wealthiest owner is worth over six billion. Oh god. Number five is worth over three billion. And uh Cohen Cohen's net worth is hard to pin down because it's it's not very liquid, but he's worth a boatload. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh Rangers. Uh Rangers, no. Goodness. I don't have a clue. So in uh... this you have one. You have two playoff teams, one, two, two teams that missed it by a little, and one that wasn't even close. 
Man. All right. Let's see. Marlins? Nope. Um, Reds? No, but that would have been funny as hell. Dude, you're, you're not, you're not, you got, so you got a team in the Midwest that we love that had a terrible season. The Cardinals. The Cardinals. Number three, Bill DeWitt Jr., where he's worth $4 billion. Dang. Yeah. See, I don't know anything about owners. Um, One of these won't surprise you. We've just, we've been talking with them for a lot of the show. The Yankees. Yankees, fifth, Hal Steinbrenner, 3.2 billion. Yeah. I mean, kind of makes sense. Um, Another one, another one not far from you in the playoffs a lot. The Braves. The Braves, John Malone, worth 5.1 billion. Are the Orioles in there? They're not. Your other two teams are in the north kind of central of the country and one's on the west coast so I'll go brewers nope not far from there though uh minnesota minnesota twins jim polad were 3.6 billion and no. number one is out west <laughs> hell they, angels yeah that would be awesome <laughs> Arden Randall's not that far but no this is the team that continues to miss out on free agents although they throw money at them the giants yeah Giants, Charles Johnson were 6.4 billion. Dang. Let me, let me give you a, a walk through the top 10. So you got Charles Johnson, San Francisco Giants, 6.4 billion. John Malone, Braves, 5.1 billion. Bill DeWitt Jr., uh, Cardinals, 4 billion. Jim Polad, Minnesota Twins, 3.6 billion. Hal Steinbrenner, Yankees, 3.2 billion. I'll finish off the top 10. Mark Walter, Dodgers, 2.9 billion. Keep in mind, Mark Walters is the primary owner. He has other guys with him that are that are worth as much as him, or if not more. Right. Uh, number seven, Ray Davis, Texas Rangers, two point seven billion. Number eight, Artie Moreno, Los Angeles Angels, two point five billion. Uh, tied with him is John Henry of the Red Sox, two point five billion. Uh, number ten, Chris Illich, Detroit Tigers, two point four billion. God dang. And then after that, you've got Peter Angelos and the Ricketts family and Jim Crane. Like you got a lot of the big ones that come after that. But what? One thing I wanted to point out is tied at 13th, John Fisher, Oakland Athletics, $2 billion net worth. Crazy. They've they've got some money. It is crazy, man. That is unfathomable amount of money. (laughs) So with that being said, what are the top five most valuable franchises in baseball? Okay. And what I will say is keep in mind, the value of those teams is three things. It's the team, the stadium, and the TV. Yeah. So it's Yankees, it's Red Sox, it's Dodgers. Yep. It's um, Cardinals. Uh, nope, but close. Uh, Same division. Yeah. Bigger city. The Cubs. The Cubs. Yep. And the last one. So you 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 nailed one, two, three, four. The last one's out west. I'm I'm trying to think of like independent like TV markets too. Most valuable out there. It wouldn't Mariners. No, the Mariners aren't far off, which is theirs is interesting the way they're set up. But and I think um, they're Valley Sports too. Yeah, actually. they're outside of the top ten. Um, we talked about the owner a minute ago. The Angels. Uh, nope. Sorry, other other one. He's he was on the list of the top five. Uh, holy cow! Drawing North a blank. of L.A. Yeah, that doesn't help me. Oh, Giants. 
The Sorry. Giants. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known that one. They're a historic franchise. They've been around forever. Yeah. Yes. So number one is the Yankees. They're worth seven point one billion dollars. Dodgers are number two, worth four point eight. Keep in mind that ownership group bought the Dodgers for two billion dollars ten years ago. Yeah. So they've got a nice return on the value of that. Crazy. Red Sox are four and a half billion. They're third. Cubs are four point one billion. They're fourth. And number five is the Giants worth three point seven billion. Yeah, I should have gotten the Giants. I'm mad. Crazy. So who for the hell of it? Let's um we'll just throw one more in here. Can you name actually can you give me the top three most profitable teams as of last year? Who makes the most money? Who makes the most money? Yeah, this will blow your mind. Let's go. Um Pirates, Reds, Rays. Yeah. <laughs> you're actually not that far off on, on your thinking. Um, no. Royals. But you're close. Royals. Uh, Royals, nope. White Sox. Not White far Sox. off. White Sox. The White Sox. Uh, no, the White Sox had a dreadful year. <laughs> so Tigers. Had a brutal, brutal year. Uh, Tigers, nope. The Tigers didn't have a good year, and I can't figure out why. All right, let's see. Most profitable. Oh, I'm sorry. You said the Pirates. The Pirates were third. Yes, you were okay. correct. So Pirates, yeah. Um, twins. Uh, nope. Brewers. Nope. Dang, I'm lost. You love this team in the Pacific Northwest. The Mariners. Mariners were number one. Okay. And number two was a super young team that went to the playoffs. The Orioles. Orioles were number two. That makes sense. So the I Seattle mean, Seattle Mariners operating income. So this is what they make after they pay all the players and run run operations. $85.8 million. Dang. You had the Orioles at $66.7 million and the Pirates at $54.5 million. It's just crazy how much money is thrown around and then they can still make that much of a profit. Like it's just got to have money to make money. It's well, crazy. what's interesting too is, and I want, I brought that up because I thought what was fascinating is so the New York Yankees profit last year, 16 million towards the bottom of the league. Dodgers, 14 million towards the bottom of the league. The Red Sox, 71.6 million towards the top of the league. Hmm. Wonder why. Because they don't sign any players, right? Um, the Giants were in that were just behind the top three. Red Red Sox were in the sorry. The Red Sox were actually in the top three. I skipped them. They were in the top. They were number two. Um, Giants not far behind them, just outside of the top four. The New York Mets lost one hundred and thirty eight million dollars last year. Oh my god! <laughs> they lost one hundred and thirty eight million dollars last year. That's amazing. And he's got to pay the luxury tax. Is that the luxury tax? fine it, Is that it doesn't it doesn't say if that was paid yet or not but either way they lost 138 if they paid that that's even worse if they well that's, it, what, I, that's what i've that was my yeah, question still bad yeah is it 200 and something now my or? understanding is that it's in there because they they already had it calculated before he paid it that makes sense um angels made 35 million the braves made almost 50 million philadelphia phillies lost three million bucks i mean you had a bunch of you had a bunch of teams that made kind of 40, 50 million ish dollars. The Cardinals, the Astros, the Rangers, um, Blue Jays lost $33 million. The White Sox lost $53 million. Dang. The Padres lost $53 million. 
So we talked about the fact the Padres had to take out a loan for 50 million bucks. Well, now we know why. Right. Because they lost that this year. They had to they had to take out the loan just to cover the fact they they ate it. That's crazy. You know, the Washington Nationals who were cheating around bankruptcy a couple of years ago made 45 million bucks. So it's it's really interesting to see how this works across the league um, and where these teams fall because there are some teams. I mean, the Royals made 32 million bucks. Not bad. The Oakland Athletics made 30 million bucks. Now, is that enough to go field a legitimate team given the payroll they're at? Well, no, which goes to show the Athletics had real problems in, in where they were. It would be interesting to see, too, how much of that is revenue share. Right, which I think for some of these smaller teams is probably all of it. Right. So they 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 should release kind of the full financials of the league here in, uh, I think it happens in the spring. But the Mariners, That's... I mean, the Mariners didn't not spend and they made 80 something million bucks that's crazy which that's pretty impressive and the league so across the league uh where did the where the article go yeah i, I call to... it, i call 85 million a slow tuesday oh I and mean, i know it's a different world for you <laughs> yeah. nicholas arno but yeah <laughs> um, yeah so mlb um set a record with uh, let's see, 2022, they set a record, uh, in with 10.8 billion and they're going to break that in 2023. All indications are the final tallies are being done. Thanks to Steve Cohen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or no but, thanks to Steve Cohen. I should say. Yeah. I wonder how that works. Like, does that count as league revenue when he's got to cut a check for it? <laughs> like, is that a hundred million dollar boost to league revenue? I Oh, that's true. I don't know. Well, no, it would just come out in the wash, right? Because you would think, but yeah. But either way, I mean, it's it's kind of funny to think about that. But like baseball, as much as we laugh about like nobody watches anymore, like baseball has seen some crazy revenue increases, and this year they've seen massive increases in ticket sales. Last thing, I, last time I saw, there was like a six percent increase in um, ticket sales, luxury ticket sales, t- like everything was up. Yeah. So. It's a pretty good indication that the game is healthy. And we'll get into it because typical MLB fashion, they changed everything again, but we'll get to it at the end here. Um, Yeah, they just love to do that. Yep. All right. Um, We'll get into the rounding third question. We threw out who was on your team's Christmas list this year, Hmm. Um, which is a great question. Um, so we had a viewer, Wesley, he chimed in and said, um, both Snell and Yamamoto for the Cardinals. Well, Yamamoto's off the board, but Snell is still a possibility. Um, even though the Cardinals got Sonny Gray, could they go in and get Blake Snell? Sure. Would that make them a contender and solidify that, that rotation? Absolutely. So, I mean... I don't hate that if that would happen, but um, that was an interesting. Um, Doug said Yamamoto for the for the Sox, so sorry about that, buddy. Um, and then Jim Britt said Snell to the Sox, which still, hopefully, could be a possibility. It could happen. Yeah. So, who who's on your Red Sox wish list? This pitchers, any of them? I mean. The Red Sox proved last year they can hit like that lineup will hit. And is although that lineup isn't like sexy on paper or exciting, they hit, they hit in their score runs. 
So they don't have a run scoring issue. They got a run prevention issue. And that was because the starting pitching last year was atrocious. So my, my wish list is starting pitchers. I'd love to see any or all of Snell Montgomery. I really wanted to see South Lugo here that got taken away by the Royals. Um, I would love to see them, you know, consider a guy like Giolito, maybe on a shorter incentive laden contract, go make a trade for Dylan Cease. I don't care. Go find us some starting pitching like Craig Breslow. Do what your predecessor couldn't do and get this ownership group to spend money on pitching. Cause we haven't, we haven't paid for a pitcher in since 2018, right? When we signed Chris sale, nope. we haven't signed a pitcher at any meaningful contract in a long freaking time. No, nope. go get us some pitching. Yeah. I mean, Send that prospect over to the White Sox like we did for Chris Sale. I know Chris Sale didn't pan out, but send Chris Sale back. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, Frank. <laughs> I'll I'll take Dylan Cease on a hard. The White, beat, White but... Sox are a mess. Just yeah, take advantage of it, and I, go go get go get a guy like Giolito. Short, you know, short contract, right. lots of incentives. Like I I don't care at this point. Do anything, even if it's wrong, but just go do something. Yeah, I agree. All right. We're going to head home and we're going to talk about the rule changes that they have made for 2024. Um, some of them make sense. Some of them don't. I don't think they needed to change any of these rules. It clearly worked last year, what they did. We were a little skeptical at first of the rule changes, but you know what? It really improved the game this year and we saw viewership. We saw attendance go up. It really worked out. So leave it. Let it breathe for a minute before we start changing everything again. I don't understand it. But here we go. Here are the rule changes. Um, 18 seconds with runners on base. So it's down from 20. So now it's even like quicker with a runner on base, which I mean, sure. I don't think it moves the needle a little bit. It might help no. with so more stolen bases, maybe a little bit. Well, and I think I feel what we saw last year is we, we did see pitchers getting gassed. Like we saw them, especially later in the season, they were tired. Yeah. Uh, Cause there is no break. And, and those, when you, when somebody strings a long inning together, it's like a, it's like a snowball effect just keeps compounding on a pitcher and blows up. I don't think that helps. And at some point I feel like MLB PA is going to step in and be like, okay, like we now have a safety issue. Like we now have guys right. that are out there like, like huffing and puffing, trying to get, trying to beat the clock. At what point are you now putting guys at risk? Because when you get tired, what happens? Your mechanics fall apart. Like you get sloppy. When you get sloppy, you tend to throw pitches over the plate or at guys' heads. Yeah. Um, I know we've dogged this guy all season, but we saw it with Alec Manoa. That dude's guy might be over. Right. This guy was a Cy Young candidate that I I didn't think he worked slow by any means. No, but he wasn't the fastest guy out there. No, but you put that pitch clock on and he just couldn't catch up with his cardio. Like he no. was just all over the place mechanically and, because he was he was tired. And you had a you had a guy like Max Scherzer even come out on multiple occasions just saying, I can't pitch like I used to. Like I got I'm rushing, like and I'm I'm getting tired. I'm making bad pitches, like my mechanics aren't holding up. Right. You know, I'm not meant to work this fast. No. And and, yeah. that, and a guy like and look at the season Scherzer had. Look at the season he had last year with no pitch clock or sorry, two years ago, Luke season he had last year with the pitch clock. Is there a correlation to the two? Maybe. Well, and you had a lot of 39. Yeah, but you had a lot of pitchers. Verlander wasn't as good as he usually was. Pitch clock was introduced. His stuff hasn't changed. No. Like you had a lot of guys that I think felt the effects of the pitch clock. And do I like the fact the game moves around a little faster and guys don't just stand there all afternoon? Yeah, I like the fact that an at-bat doesn't take 20 minutes. But I also don't want to see a guy like Max Scherzer who's wheezing in the fourth inning trying to throw strikes 
and can't because he's tired or he's, or he's throwing balls at guys' heads right. because he can't hold his mechanics together. Like, that's not good either. No. Like, there's got to be a balancing act here of speed versus the quality of the game. And you're right. I think at some point when a lot of these pitchers are going on the IL sooner and sooner and sooner, um, that they're going to have to step in and say it's a, sa- a safety issue, that they're going to have to slow them down or give them a break at some point. But yeah, know. the MLBPA is not going to say anything right now because revenue is up. So contracts are up. Everybody's getting paid. Right. So everybody's happy right now. But yeah. when that plateaus and guys are getting hurt, now the MLBPA is going to be like, all right, guys, like we've gone too far. Yeah. But but again, like it just proves that the MLBPA and MLB, it, this is money. Money is number one priority for both sides. Yep. And then um, after that, it's player safety and quality of the game. Yep. But it's ultimately, it's we got to make more money. How do we make more money? Yeah. Um, the next rule is four mound visits down from five. So, I mean, that doesn't really move the needle for me. It is what it is. Well, um, I, also, I also wonder, and I don't, I don't know, I'm not even asking. I'm just curious. Like, how many times did teams get to that many mound visits? Like, did they even get to it? That's I a lot think, of mound visits. Yeah. I think maybe I saw a couple teams get within one. Like, they never used the full five. But um, this one's interesting to me. I don't quite get it but if a pitcher starts to warm up before an inning he must face one hitter now does this mean like in the bullpen or does this mean like on the field between on the field okay that's what i thought because that's the only thing that made sense but but in my in my recollection i can't think of the last time a guy went out to the mound and warmed up to get pulled before the first batter stepped into the box yeah like without an injury like i can't i cannot for the life of me remember when that's happened I mean, I've seen guys go out and warm up and like, you know, like they injure their arm or twist an ankle. Like, so they still have to face a hitter. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, how often does a guy get out there, warm up on the mound and the first batter gets announced like, oh, nope, call to the pen. Like, I can't I I can't remember ever seeing that happen. I feel like that's that's a rule for something that just doesn't happen. Yeah, that was a weird one to me. But yeah, that one made no sense know. to me. My understanding was that was like out on the mound, not in the bullpen, but like out on the mound. Yeah, that's that's what I thought too. Because I was like, the bullpen doesn't make sense. That's no. stupid. Yeah. So it's if you go out, if you walk out to the mound, if you take the field and take your warm-up pitches, you now have to pitch to somebody. Which I can't think of a time when that hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, without an injury. Exactly, without an injury. And you're not gonna make an injured guy pitch, so that takes I no, I bet it's I bet a pitcher goes out, throws his warm-up tosses, and then an, a pinch hitter comes in, and then the manager goes out and takes the ball. I but bet how that, often do you think that happens? I bet late in games it probably happens more than we know because it's part we're probably at commercial. Oh yeah, maybe maybe we don't see it. That's a good point. So because yeah, I'm like I can't think of a time when a guy's gone out to the mound, throwing warm up pitches, and then not pitch to somebody. That's the only scenario I can think where that would even make sense. Is they announce the pinch hitter, you know, they bring in Felix Batista from the bullpen, and they bring in a you know a pinch hitter, and then they're like, oh, okay, well we're gonna go to our lefty. Yeah, that's like that's got to be the only thing. But whatever. yeah, maybe and maybe maybe that does happen. We just don't see it. But yeah, I still I look at that one. I'm like I feel like we're making a rule for a situation that really doesn't. Yeah. happen often yeah. if at all right um and then the no. last one the last rule change here is the runner's lane so you have the runner's box that's usually in foul territory it has now been widened to the infield grass which makes the most sense to me because the base is in fair territory i've I, never the lane i have never ever in 
all my years playing, watching baseball, understood why the runner's box is in foul territory when the base is in fair territory. If yep. you have if you have like the softball run through bag on makes the back side, then it makes sense to put the runner's box there. But uh, yeah, this rule makes sense to me. Yeah, I was if, always taught that you run with one foot on the left side of the line, one foot on the right side of the line, because you want to take away a lane if you had some if you have something either back to the pitcher or in front of the in front of the plate. Right. And I mean, honestly, that the whole runner's lane thing gets called so infrequently. And when it does half the time, it's confusing as to what they're really calling. Yeah. But I always thought it was dumb that you don't at going to first. So any other base on the field, you have the whole base path. First mm-hmm. base, you don't. You get this little sliver of the base path. That's all you're allowed. Right. Which to me was always dumb. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's I can I can run to second base and literally like get get in almost into the outfield grass to come around and, and cut the bag and i'm fine but right. first base i've got like this little 18 inch box i've got to run in which yep. is dumb i mean we had seen it a couple times like was it the world series that trey turner got hit in the yep. shoulder um that was was back in 19 um, well when the red sox beat the cardinals in the world series in 04 we had that weird call um that weird out of the baseline call the red sox had against them that almost cost them a game that made no sense at the time either it's the the base the base paths are very anywhere but first the base paths are a little bit kind of fluid what exactly is a base path we don't have any markings we kind of base it on can you reach the bag and all that stuff so it's really a judgment call right first base you've got this little lane you got to stay in even when guys run out of it half the time it doesn't get called nobody really acknowledges it. It only matters if like the throw comes from the catcher and hits a guy, then all of a sudden everybody's up in arms. It hasn't been called, but nobody calls it otherwise. Right. It's so, the dumbest thing. And you're right. That lane is making you run in foul territory. You've then got to kind of reach your foot back to reach the base because you can't get to the base from that box. Cause keep in mind that foul line runs the back end of the base. Right. If you stay in that runner's lane the whole way, you're going to run past the base. You can't touch the base. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either, keep the runner's box where it is and put a safety base or make the base path all the way to the grass, which makes make sense. it the actual base path, which makes right. sense. Yeah. If you step on the grass and you get hit, you're out. Yeah, like, that's I, easy. I agree with that. Easy. And the grass is a really easy defining line as to where yep. the base path is. Thousand percent. But yeah, this, this, the runner's lane thing to me was always dumb. And I, I was always wondering like, are they ever going to change that? Leave it in because it's like, it's like nostalgic, but I'm glad to see them change it. Cause that's a dumb rule. Yep. I agree. So those are your rule changes for 2024. Again, like my thought on it was this year works so well. Like let your players adapt to what you've made before making more. Like just let them adapt, let it breathe. And if viewership goes down, then go ahead and make another change. But we had such an increase across the board. I say we. I mean, Major League Baseball had such an increase across the board that why are we changing all of the stuff again? It doesn't make any sense to me. But here we go. Typical MLB fashion. We're switching the rules. Uh, we'll probably get a new playoff scenario you know, next week that we can talk about because they change that every two years. Um, so I don't know. But it is what it is. On to 2024 we go. Yep. I um before we go, Nick, I came across an article from the Athletic today that I thought was is in- interesting, and I want to 
I want to just talk about one in particular uh, section of it. So they did they did an article that was the 20 most mind-blowing hitting and pitching feats of 23. And the first one they get into Kyle Schwarber. So I just want to I want to share some of the things about Kyle Schwarber because he's one guy we make a lot of jokes about him. We kind of rail on Kyle Schwarber. You know, we realize he hits a bunch of home runs, takes a bunch of walks, you know, does all these things, but he hits under 200 and he's done that many times. Um, but I want to share some of the interesting kind of mind-blowing stats here. So Kyle Schwarber in 2023 hit 197 with 215 strikeouts. So out of the gate, that sounds like a terrible season. <clears throat> Keep in mind, he did this from the leadoff spot for the Phillies. So Schwarber, he became the first player in the modern era with at least 500 leadoff plate appearances in, which, in a season which has averaged never made it to 200. He never hit, made it. He didn't hit 200 for a single at bat this year. Dang. <laughs> so think about that. That means he started his season one for 10 or yeah. worse. <laughs> he never hit 200. He never broke 200 this year at any point in the season. That's crazy. So crazy, right? Um, he had he got a he got a hit 21 times to lead off games, but only six of those were singles. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Natural. think about Natural. that for a second. 21 lead off hits in games, only six were singles. So they drew a comparison, which I found interesting. He was as productive as a guy who hit 306, which seems weird, but let's follow this one. So they, they use Bo Bichette as the as the comparison. So Bo Bichette in 23 hit 306 with a 123 OPS plus. Schwarber hit 197 with a 122 OPS plus. Strange. Crazy. He hit one nine. So Schwarber hit 197. He led his team in runs scored. He had more strikeouts than hits, 215 strikeouts to 115 hits, but still led the team in runs scored. He had a higher on-base percentage than Bo Bichette at 306. He was at 343 versus 339 because he drew 99 more walks than Bo Bichette. Yeah, that's crazy. So Bo Bichette hit 109 points higher than him, had a lower OBP by four points because of the walks. And then lastly, Schwarber, because his defense is so bad with all those offensive stats, had a 0.6 war. Yeah. So 47 home runs and 100 RBIs, 100 runs scored, and he was less than one win above replacement. <laughs> That's crazy. So his so to recap, <laughs> he has statistically he was just as good as a guy hitting 306. He hit. He led his team in runs scored. He hit 40-something home runs. He drove in over 100 runs, scored 100 runs, and was so bad defensively that he was a .6 war. So this is literally what they said in The Athletic was basically, like, we're trying to write an article to show how, how good a season Kyle Schwarber had because the stats don't play it out. But when you break it down, what he does, it's just so different. It's weird. Yeah. Like he is, he is super as a, as a hitter, he has valuable aspects of what he does, but he's also a huge liability at the same time. But he, he actually outweighs all that. And he's, he makes a very good leadoff hitter, not because he's an average guy, but because he'll surprise you with a home run and he'll take a boatload of walks. Yeah. But he walks almost as often as he gets a hit. Yeah. That is, that's what makes baseball amazing. 
right? I mean, like, he is not as productive as these other guys out of the leadoff spot, but yet he is. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you have a basketball player go and he shoots two for 35, like, he's costing his team the game. Like, if Schwarber, exactly. if, if Schwarber goes two for 35, like, yeah, he has 25 walks in there. Right. You know, like it's, it's, that's crazy. It's, yes. Uh, it's, so he had, he had 720 plate appearances, only 585 at bats because of all the walks he had. He scored 108 runs. He had 115 hits. 47 of those were home runs. 19 were doubles. Yeah. He walked 126 times and struck out 215 times, giving him a batting average of 197 and an OBP of 343. I mean, like an elite leadoff hitter is like 360 to 400 OBP. Like that's elite, elite, elite. And he's right on the edge of it with 215 Ks and only 115 hits. Yeah. It's mind boggling. Like you almost like your brain almost can't comprehend what this guy does because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Wild. Absolutely. It's wild. Dang. Baseball's crazy, man. I love it. I mean, yeah, I saw one of those comparisons last week. It was just, it was insane. It was crazy. But. Yeah. I mean, it, literally, they're just trying to find a way to show the fact, like, this was a good season. It just doesn't look like most good seasons. Yeah, right. All right. Do you have anything else for this week? No. It was a, uh, I'm hoping that after the new year, things pick back up, but it's, it was yeah. a quiet week and quiet week around the league. Yeah. So. All right, we will be on our regular time uh, next Monday um, at 8 p.m. Um, but before you go, please make sure you like, um, follow us on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can also share our podcast, share our reels, comment, like our reels, um, like our show, share our show, all of the stuff. Um, and we really appreciate the support. Uh, and you can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next Monday at 8 p.m. See ya.